0: Different types of exercise, do they impact cardiac structure and function differently? And how might this impact our approach to our patients as we give them an exercise prescription? You are listening to ReachMD, XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Lee Friedman, your host. And with me today is Dr. Aaron Bagish from the Massachusetts General Hospital Department of Cardiology in Boston. Thank you so much for being with us, Dr. Baggish. My pleasure. Dr. Baggish and I are going to be talking a little bit about the exercise prescription and possibly pertinent to this is a very exciting study that Dr. Baggish has published in the Journal of Applied Physiology. Dr. Baggish, can you summarize what you did with the study and what it showed?
1: So basically, the study was conducted in a group of university-aged athletes to look at the impact of 90 days of exercise training on heart structure and function. And what we found that's probably of most relevance to your audience is that cardiac changes occur in as short a period as 90 days and they are truly sport specific. The concept that the heart is structurally different from one athlete type to the next is not a new concept. I think we are, in this study, the first to demonstrate that exercise training and even a short period of exercise training is causal in this observation. But the next step and something that we were very excited to look at was the interplay between structure and function. And what I mean is that although the hearts in both types of athletes we studied, and in this case there were endurance athletes and strength athletes, although the hearts grew in size as measured by mass, that the mass was laid down or distributed in different ways between the two groups, and there were functional changes that correlated with these differences.
0: And uh, I know you divided the two groups. One was endurance athletes who are distance rowers and the other football players defined as strength athletes. Can you tell us the differences in the structure and function between these two groups?
1: At baseline there were really no important differences after we adjusted for body size and we chose body surface area as our measurement index. After the 90 days of training, as I mentioned, the left ventricular mass, as measured by echocardiography, went up substantially in both groups, and the magnitude of increase was similar, meaning it went up by 12% in both groups. This is where the similarities ended. Among the endurance athletes, this increase in left ventricular mass came in the form of eccentric hypertrophy. Another simple way of putting this is left ventricular dilation. In contrast, among the strength athletes, the mass increase occurred in the form of wall thickness increase, and this is commonly referred to as concentric hypertrophy. Having made these structural observations, the next question for us was really to look at function. And we paid particular attention to diastolic function given its relevance to the growing epidemic of diastolic heart failure.
0: Mm -hmm. And so you would suspect if there was left ventricular hypertrophy, the concentric enlargement, the diastolic dysfunction might deteriorate. Is that the case?
1: And that is exactly what we saw. I need to state that Diastolic function in both athletes' groups started at a similar point, but they went in divergent directions with training. The endurance athletes who, as I said, underwent eccentric hypertrophy or left ventricular dilation actually saw an enhancement of their diastolic function. In contrast, the strength athletes who underwent concentric hypertrophy actually saw a reduction in their relaxation capacity. It's also worth noting that none of the strength athletes experienced overt diastolic dysfunction as we would classify it in someone with heart failure, but there was certainly a signal toward a reduction in relaxation
0: among these strength-trained athletes. And then there were also some differences in the right ventricular function as well.
1: There were. The right ventricle is an interesting story. It's a chamber that's received a lot less attention than its cousin on the left side of the heart over the past several decades, and we're learning now that the right ventricle is, as if not, more important than the left ventricle in terms of exercise capacity. And in this study, what we observed was that the right ventricles of endurance athletes both grew in size and also improved in terms of both its ability to relax and, and accommodate blood during diastole and also its ability to squeeze blood or pump during systole. In contrast, the strength athletes really saw no changes in their right ventricle, either from a structural or a functional perspective, suggesting that something about the nature of strength training does not affect the right side of the heart.
0: And theoretically, from a clinical standpoint, uh, does the right ventricle matter that much?
1: Well, it's a complicated question. I think for people who perform activity and whose life quality is dependent upon a high level of exercise capacity, the right ventricle is very important. As you're probably well aware, there are people with congenital heart disease that live functionally without a right ventricle that do have a relatively normal quality of life. But among people that value exercise and among people that expect to exercise at a high capacity, we think right ventricular function is an important determinant of what they can and cannot do.
0: So certainly at the higher levels of performance, that could have some very real clinical significance. Absolutely. So uh, very interesting. In a short period of time, in a causal fashion, different types of exercise lead to different structural and functional changes in the heart, with endurance leading to more dilatation and improved diastolic function, whereas strength activities lead more to left ventricular hypertrophy and uh, somewhat diminished diastolic function. As we look at this, and and I understand this is more conjecture, the studies haven't been done yet, what implications might this have to an exercise prescription for the average healthy patient?
1: Well, I think what we can say definitively from this study is that we need to take a long, hard look at what we say when we mean exercise prescription. I think what this study tells us is that not all exercise is created equal. To take it to the next step and to determine what type of exercise is best for what type of patient really requires more study. If I were to go out on the limb and come up with a few hypotheses based on the information we gathered from this study, I would say the following. One is there is a, a growing concern about the prescription of strength training in folks with diastolic heart dysfunction, whether it's diastolic heart failure or diastolic dysfunction due to hypertensive left ventricular hypertrophy or hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. And the benefit of strength training in these individuals is something that really requires dedicated research, study time, and energy. Endurance training seems to be less concerning regardless of which group you look at, but we need to think long and hard about how to put those two together into the most appropriate exercise prescription for a given individual.
0: So this might lend some support to the idea that people who have some impairment at baseline of their diastolic function should be careful about strength activities?
1: I think that that's that's the the question from a scientific perspective that we need to turn our attention to next. I don't think we're at the point where those of us that are practicing clinical medicine on a day-to-day basis can now definitively tell our patients with diastolic heart failure that strength training is bad. I think we need to be vigilant in terms of our pursuit of this from a scientific perspective and do the studies necessary to ask that question But it certainly, based on what we saw in these healthy, highly functional people, does suggest that strength training may, in fact not be good for diastolic function.
0: If you've just tuned in, you're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD, XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Lee Friedman, and with me today is Dr. Aaron Bagish from the Department of Cardiology at Mass General in Boston. He is going over with us the exercise prescription and what his recent study published in the Journal of Applied Physiology could possibly lend to that prescription. Dr. Baggish, for the person without baseline diastolic issues, do you typically recommend a mix of both endurance and strength activities for them?
1: We do because it's clear through other lines of evidence that keeping skeletal muscle mass high, which happens with strength training, is beneficial in both healthy and diseased individuals. So at the current time, we do recommend a combination of both We think that the cardiovascular or endurance type training is probably the most beneficial from the perspective of the heart and great vessels, but that some element of strength training is useful in keeping up skeletal muscle mass, which over the long haul is an important component of longevity.
0: And I know there were newer guidelines released, I believe, last summer suggesting moderate aerobic activity, five days a week, 30 minutes each time, or more vigorous activity, three days a week for 20 minutes each time. Do you concur with those type of specific numbers, or are there other things that you say to your patients?
1: You no. Know, I mean, I think if you look at the historically what's happened with guidelines in terms of exercise prescriptions, and I agree with this trajectory, and that is that more seems to be better. It needs to be stated that starting an exercise program should be done in consultation with a physician, and it's up to the patient and the physician to determine what's what needs to be done to ensure that starting the program is done in a safe fashion. This includes a discussion at the least and also in some patients includes exercise stress test. But once the patient is deemed to be safe for exercise, it seems as suggested by this change in guidelines that more is probably better.
0: And taking certain baseline cardiovascular illnesses, say hypertension, diabetes? Are are there any modifications, guidelines, warnings that you would give to patients with specific comorbidities?
1: If in doubt, our practice and my personal practice is to put people on the treadmill and do an exercise treadmill test before giving them a definitive exercise prescription. And the reason that we do this is simply that it's difficult to predict from one patient to the next how their comorbidity will affect their exercise capacity. And it's really only in a controlled environment that we can get a sense of what they can do and how their specific comorbidities either limit or do not limit their exercise capacity. And from that, we can really tailor with them what the best course of action will be.
0: Getting back to the study that that you've done, do you happen to know when we look at professional football players, other elite strength athletes. Do you see more diastolic heart Failure. I, I'm certainly familiar with all the orthopedic issues and fallout in football players. Is there any documentation of cardiovascular morbidity?
1: A couple quick things in response to that good question, Lee. First is that in our study we didn't see any diastolic dysfunction per se. None of these individuals progressed to a point at which they had diastolic indices similar to what we see in patients with diastolic heart failure. So there was wasn't clear dysfunction. That's an important distinction to be made. The actual answer to your question is that this is really an area of complete uncertainty, and that we know very little about the long-term effects of athletic training on health, especially as it pertains to athletes after they stopped competing, meaning the professional football player who was a lineman for 20 years and is now in his 50s, 60s, and 70s. What happens to the hearts of those people is there's just really no good way of answering that question. One could speculate that repetitive strength training for decades could, in fact, be a setup for diastolic heart failure, and that's something that we're actively looking at, but at this point, can't give you any good scientific answer to that question.
0: We just don't have the data. Just don't have it. That's very interesting. As we go on for here, you're you're looking at some of the questions with elite athletes. Are there studies that are, are being funded by the U.S. Olympic Committee or by professional sports organizations that you're involved with or you know of that are going on?
1: We have several collaborations working both with Olympic athletes as well as professional sporting teams that are are at this point supported internally through our hospital and have several corporate backings. There are complicated finances behind them, but it's certainly something that people are interested in and are becoming more and more willing to provide financial backing for.
0: And if you could look in a crystal ball five, ten years down the road, do you think we will be dealing with a situation where we get very individualized exercise prescriptions based on comorbid states and specific types of exercise, or is, is that even further down the road?
1: Well, the time course remains to be determined, but I think ultimately that the concept of personalization within medicine will certainly extend to the exercise prescription. It's among the simplest and most cost-effective ways we can improve longevity and quality of life in our patients, and as we learn more about how to do that better, I think it will become clear that it needs to be tailored to a specific patient based on who they are, what their age is, what their expectations for quality of life are, and what their medical comorbidities are. So I, I would assume that based on the work that we and others are doing, that the the personalized exercise prescription is a thing that you will see in the near future.
0: Well, I want to thank Dr. Aaron Baggish from Massachusetts General Hospital, Department of Cardiology, who's been discussing with us the exercise prescription. I'm Dr. Lee Freeman. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD, XM157, the channel for medical professionals. We welcome your comments and questions through our website at reachmd.com, which now features our entire medical show library and on-demand podcasts. Thank you for listening.